my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys had a terrific weekend. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by Farron Morgan from Real Clear Politics. Uh, and it was, uh, we had a good chat. I, I think you guys will really enjoy it. We talked about uh, uh, the, the saga of Elon Musk finally acquiring Twitter and the lefty meltdowns that followed. We talked about the bizarre Paul Pelosi uh, naked guy with a hammer story. Uh, try to unpack all of that. Uh, and, and we covered a bunch of other stuff. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before I get to Farron, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you are an iTunes user, please take a few seconds to leave us a five star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Farron Morgan. All right, guys, we're here with Farron Morgan from Real Clear Politics. Farron, thanks so much for taking the time. How have you been? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we have a ton to get to, as always. Um, let's, we have to start with Twitter. Um, after six months of, of nonsense and back and forth, Elon Musk has finally uh, acquired Twitter. The entire corporate press and Twitter Democrats are absolutely melting down right now. Um, obviously, they're comparing this to you know, things like the Holocaust and 9-11, you know, all, all the classics, because that's that's who journalists are right now. Um, so before we dive into it, do you have a favorite lefty meltdown from over the weekend or are you just enjoying the show more generally? I'm enjoying the show generally. I mean, I think my favorite sort of phenomenon that's that's going on on Twitter from the left is folks threatening to leave the platform or announcing that they're leaving the platform and they're still very much on the platform 48, 72 hours later. Um, I think probably my, my favorite headline was from slate. Liberals are trying to defend Twitter from Elon Musk. Like it's cave. (laughs) 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 So, so spot on so much drama, so much hyperbole. Um, and about, you know, about a social media platform. We're not talking about, we're not talking about governance. We're not talking about people losing their lives over, over speech. We're not talking about, um, you know, fear of reporting truth, uh, fear of reprisal for, for reporting truth. We're, we're talking about social media. Um, it's been, it's been wild. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to, uh, maybe somebody in the audience can do a little research um, I'd venture to guess every single lefty that uh, threatened to leave Twitter has actually tweeted more. Yeah, like in the last forty-eight hours. Than oh, they absolutely, absolutely. This is the I I I can't remember who tweeted this out, but I think it's spot on. This is the new I'm moving to Canada. Oh yeah, I mean they said they were moving to Canada in two thousand after right. the, the the hanging chads in Florida and everything. Yeah. And it's been. It's been <laughs> I mean, Canada is nice this time of year, fellas. I mean, <laughs> are we doers or talkers? I, I think yeah. we have a lot of talkers. The funniest part to me is that less than 20% of American adults are on Twitter. Yeah. And it's something like 7 to 8% of American adults 
regularly use Twitter. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I think it's the seventh most popular social media platform in America. It's like one fifth as popular as Facebook, maybe right. a little less. So like Democrats are obsessed, you know, their fear and their, their meltdown is, is stemmed from the fact that they're obsessed with using corporate power to influence elections. And, you know, side note, there's a name for that, but, but I digress. Yeah. Um, and, and losing even a tiny fraction of their corporate influence is freaking them out. And obviously That's they're just exactly telling right. on themselves. I mean, they're really telling on, on themselves here. Um, they know, they know there's no real life downside. Like there's no real negative to no. Elon Musk buying Twitter. Like it, the, the worst thing that could happen is nothing. It just stays the exact same That's as it right. is now. You know what I mean? And- I mean, I, I'm among those who really hope that, and obviously, you know, Elon, Elon Musk is a businessman. His, his goal is to make a profit. I think, um, is he committed to free speech? I think to the extent that, that, you know, folks who like Elon Musk, who followed his career, who support him, um, who will continue to support them with their money, they all like what he's saying. They like what he's selling. Um, but I really hoped that he would buy it and nuke it. I think, um, yeah. I think it's become kind of a cesspool. I mean, it, it's objectively true that, uh, that Twitter's quote unquote community standards were used to silence people of, of one political persuasion, um, and to, to advance sort of one quote unquote version of, of truth and, and, and reality. Um, but I think that what you said is spot on. I mean, there are, there's a vast minority of people who are on Twitter and, and of that minority, even fewer of them are using Twitter, you know, on a, on a regular multiple times a day, even one time, time a day basis. The majority of, of what's happening in our country is happening, uh, IRL in real life. And, and I think that, um, you know, the folks who are using Twitter, who, who get clout, who are able to sort of backslap each other for what they're saying or, um, you know, or drag their opponents or, or whatever, I think they're, they're sort of missing the point that all politics is local. And, um, you know, local is not what Twitter does best. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's absolutely true. And, and the thing is, though, politicians and, and Democrats especially don't learn lessons very often or very easily. But they did. The freakout stems from the fact that they did learn the lesson that censorship works in 2020. Yeah. Um, they, if the tech companies didn't aid the Democrats by censoring the Hunter Biden story, Democrats wouldn't be in power. But the the thing, the funniest thing to me is that that scheme was so much larger than Twitter. Like the FBI was was in on it. Zuckerberg admitted that on, on Joe Rogan's show um, that the FBI told them to, to censor the story. It, it was a it was a you know countrywide scheme to shut down this information. If it was only Twitter that was engaging in this censorious behavior, it wouldn't have swung enough votes to save right. the Democrats. You know, like Twitter is just right. not that important. But, you know, in some respects, they are correct to be scared. I mean, they did learn that they need censorship in order to win elections. So it, it, they're, they're noticing that that might be slipping through their fingers a little bit. So they, they, they are correct to be fearful. That's, that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, the, the intent and, and, and what in actuality happened is that, um, that story was panned as absurd as a conspiracy theory. Um, you know, that, that it was being advanced by extremists and, and that's the language, you know, that we hear anytime anybody questions the, you know, narrative TM, like there's, there's one version of events 
Um, if you're outside that version of events, you're just a crazy person. And this is also why people no longer trust institutions. They no longer trust media because, you know, if, if time and time again, quote unquote, conspiracy theories are proven out, they're proven to be true, then people are right to question, uh, you know, these (laughs) sort of elite institutions that are, that are, you know, supposed to be responsible for sifting through all the information that's available and, and sort of spoon feeding people, um, what's, what's correct. That's, that's not what we've seen happen. And, and yet, you know, people who question the media, which is, a you know, at this point, I think a majority of Americans, um, they are sort of painted as crazy or, or, or kooks or extremists when in reality, you know, they're just, people who believe that truth is the is the proper end of, of journalism. Absolutely. You know, I mean that's absolutely correct. And and we have to mention just what Twitter has done to the country. <laughs> to, yeah. To the political discourse. And and tw- I mean Twitter has impacted the entire political universe in this country for no reason because yeah. so few people are actually engaging with it. And that's why Taylor Lorenz and the rest of the journalists screaming bloody murder about Twitter is so funny. Like, just nobody cares in real life. No. You know? It's just politicians and journalists yelling at each other. And it impacts the the, the quality of, of candidates we get, too. It makes candidates terrible on both sides. You know, every Democrat candidate campaigns on the Green New Deal, letting murderers out of prison, defunding the police, chopping off five-year-old boys' balls and, and five-year-old girls' breasts. And normal people, including normal Democrats, are horrified. They're like, what? What? This is crazy. I mean, this is crazy nonsense. And the right does it, too. And, you know, I'm from Ohio. I I really I've endorsed J.D. Vance on the show. Please go out and vote for J.D. Vance for Senate. But you see guys like J.D. Vance, you see it all over the country, too. You know, he spent the first several months of the campaign after the primary talking about, like, breaking up Amazon (laughs) and stuff like that and building a border wall in Texas. And it's like, you know, yeah. and somebody finally sat him down. It's like, my brother, you're campaigning in the great state of Ohio. What are we doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's, he's, he was campaigning for like my buddies who write for the daily caller. You know what I mean? Yes. Not farmers in Ohio. <laughs> you know what I mean? And these lefties are, vo- are, are campaigning for like Alec Baldwin and his degenerate friends, not like right. you know, normal people in New York or whatever. So it's like, it, it, it's this way too online mentality and it does the entire country a disservice. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly what happens when people get, get caught in their own echo chamber. I mean, we, we have a left and a right that are, that are essentially closed societies at this point. And, you know, Twitter does, I think, pull people to extremes um, and away from, you know, what's going on with my friends and neighbors? What are they experiencing? What hardships are they having? What can I learn from them? Um, how, how can what I learn from them sort of shape my policy perspectives? That's 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 what you want in a politician. I think. I mean, I will say, I think Glenn Youngkin's campaign did that really, really well. Yeah. His his guberna- gubernatorial campaign in Virginia, and and the issues that he campaigned on are really a lot of the issues that we're seeing, you know, elevated to to the national level at this point. Um, you know, to include, of course, of course, education, of course, at that point, um, you know, critical race theory in schools, and, 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 and to the extent that that was an issue in Northern Virginia, kids actually being in school, you know, we, we've seen tremendous loss of learning. Um, but also, you know, 
increase crime? Um, what are people paying at the gas pump? What are people paying at the grocery store? Those are the issues th- that people care about. And to your point, you know, that does vary uh, locality to locality. I'm, I'm here in southwestern Virginia in a, a tiny town called Wise, Virginia. The issues that I care about are not going to be the issues that somebody in Los Angeles cares about. But Twitter makes us think that they are, you know, they, they make us they make us believe that there's, you know, a handful of issues. You have to believe one thing about them to sort of fit in with your club. <laughs> and if <Right>. you don't, <laughs> you know, you're just not you don't have anything to add to the political discourse and the and the and the, the politics as we you know, as we know them in America don't serve you anymore. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, it's (laughs) myself personally, aside from taxation, aside from tax policy, obviously, um, the the government action that affects my life most directly is probably hunting and fishing regulations. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's that's what I'm engaging with in terms of government on a daily basis. Like, that's. Well, and it's fascinating to see. I worked for a little while. for Majority Leader Ter- Terry Kilgore in the in the Virginia House of Delegates, and it's fascinating to see, you know, at that level there will be delegates who just care about hunting and fishing. There will be delegates who just care about farming. There will be delegates who, you know, have been school principals and and really they understand what's going on there and that's their their issue. Um, but we focus so little on those races in comparison to, you know, these these federal elections, national elections. Um, and I think it's to our detriment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And going back, I had one more thing I have to mention before we move on from Twitter. Elon Musk is considering uh, making blue checks pay for their blue checks. Now, I am for this 100 <laughs> percent. I mean, just it exposes these people as... <laughs> the vapid morons that they are. I, I'm in. I'm, I'm for it because journalists are vain, unimpressive, hive-minded simpletons, yeah. and I'm in favor of anything that exposes that fact. I agree. I mean, I, I think that the, the blue checks are so interesting to me because they're basically an online version, you know, on Twitter of uh, credentialing, like displaying right. your credentials, and you know. There will literally be people who say, if it doesn't come from a blue check, you can't believe it. And it's who like, says what, that? what who is says that? Outside of Washington, D.C., who says that? Outside of Washington, D.C., nobody. And that's, I mean, that's <laughs> the point. You know, I think um, we were talking offline about Walter Kern. Uh, Walter Kern doesn't have a blue check. And my understanding is that that's, that's by choice. And, you know, I think that's an important choice to the extent that that people participate in that community because it really shows it's a goodwill gesture. It's a, we're on the same footing here. You know, you're what, what you, what you're saying, your perspective, it doesn't matter if you are, you know, uh, if you don't have a high school education, um, it, you know, or if you're a MIT educated rocket scientist, it doesn't matter your perspective here to the extent that, that we can create kind of a populist, um, online forum for speech. I think, I think that's really, I think it's important. And you know, if you want to pay for your blue check, people know that, that, (laughs) that that's important enough to you that you're willing to spend $20 a month, um, you know, to be holier than thou. (laughs) Yeah. I I just want, I want the general public on Twitter to understand that and just mock these people incessantly. Yeah. Yes. I agree. Like just start with Taylor Lorenz and just work your way down. (laughs) Just anybody paying for a blue check, just 
you know, it just, you know who these people are. They're telling on themselves. Mock them. They deserve yeah. to be mocked. Yeah, and I think you know, I think the mistake on Twitter period was uh, was trying to create some sort of singular narrative because the chaos was always sort of the fun of Twitter. Um, you know, people people who aren't credentialed, people who who are not part of the political set, taking the piss is kind of. that's what made it fun you know that's what made it entertaining um so I I hope that'll come back and I yeah I I do think that I think mocking is warranted where people are willing to to pay for a little sticker (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's funny just side note I mean for anybody I, I most people probably already know this if you're listening to this podcast but I love Twitter I think Twitter's hilarious I've legitimately met like a lot of really cool people <laughs> just on Twitter, you know, yeah. who, are, who are now like my buddies in real life, you know? And it's yes. like, it's, it, you know, and I'm just a sad, you know, I know I'm a savage on Twitter. I say all this crazy stuff and it's just, it's funny. And I don't take any of it seriously. I don't take myself too seriously. I, I maybe it's because I'm an anarchist and I view everything as ridiculous. I view everything government does as illegitimate and crazy. You know, may, maybe that, cause that does, you know, that's where I'm coming from. Like that is my my political philosophy. So it's like I I, just, I don't let anything get to me. I'm not ever actually upset. Like I might sound angry or something on Twitter maybe, but just know that when I'm tweeting, I'm laughing. <laughs> you know, like it is comical <laughs> to me. Like it is just comedy, even if it is a little depressing sometimes. So it's like I I've never had a problem with Twitter. I mean, like besides Twitter, like you know, banning. Republicans for no reason. That's kind of the only issue I've had. Like, I don't care that people are mean. I don't care about any of that stuff. Like, I view Twitter as just comedy. Like, it's just entertainment for me. And I I legitimately enjoy it. Like, I'm not even, like, for all of Twitter's flaws, like, I think it is a hilarious platform, and it's way more entertaining than any, like, I'm not on Facebook. Well, I mean, I am technically, because I operate a couple business pages, but, like, and you have to have a personal account to do that, but, like, I haven't used my personal Facebook in at least 10 years I, I use Instagram, but I just post pictures of dead animals, you know, that I shot or caught. <laughs> and that, that's all I use that for. So it's like, you know, Twitter's it's the only social media platform that I can handle that I actually enjoy using. And maybe it's because I just don't take any of it seriously. But, like, I, you know, I don't want to come off as though I'm like this Twitter hater. Like, I, I actively use Twitter like almost every day and enjoy it. So I mean, maybe, that's, I think, maybe I have a couple screws loose. I don't know. I think that's a proper use of Twitter. I mean, I think that's why people use the platform. I, I remember I used to love when, and, and I don't think he runs his own account anymore. It's it's lots of promotions, but I used to love David Lynch's Twitter. And you could tell that it was him, you know, and it's just like a guy saying his thoughts. I He, he literally, I remember he found like a mole in his driveway one time. He was like asking his Twitter followers what moles <laughs> eat. Like that's, that's the best of Twitter to me. And, and I, you know, I'm probably more sensitive to kindness and cruelty um, on online platforms, but I don't think that any speech platform should be designed to uh, to meet the needs of the most sensitive user. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll say. You know, I mean, my view of it, and I I don't love Twitter. I think in part because I spend so much time on it um, for work and have for years, but um, but I think that you know, anytime that you're, that you're saying, okay, well, how can I not hurt anybody's feelings? I mean, in a, in a pluralistic society, that is not possible. (laughs) Yeah. So let's just have fun. You know, if you, if you get your feelings hurt, if you don't like what you're saying, if if you're part of a pile on, you can turn your computer off 
it's okay. You can walk away. Um, and I, I think that's just putting it in perspective is, is the way to approach it. And that is, I mean, that's part of, you know, I, I, you know, I don't buy the, the line of, um, a lot of like big government conservatives who are like, um, you know, Twitter's the public square and has to be yeah. you know, regulated and stuff. And I, I'm not saying Twitter is the public square, but it is, it is a public square. Right. Um, and the thing is about public squares are that they're messy. Like, have you ever been to a city council so meeting? So messy. <laughs> have you ever been to a town council meeting? I mean, it's like people are screaming and yelling at each other. It looks exactly like Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Like people are not nice in an open yeah. city council meeting. Okay. Like the public square is where people hash things out. And they're usually not nice about it. And it's not that I don't care about kindness. I do. I don't care about niceness, but I do care deeply about kindness. Mm. Uh, but that, that's not the, – the, the public square is not always kind. I mean, it, it go it go through history. Like, when yeah. has that place, when has that forum been this, like, bastion of, of nicety? And, right. and, you know, like, everybody, everybody complimenting each other. That's not what the public square is for. It's for a bunch of people to come together from different backgrounds and hash out these ideas. And that's not always going to be pretty. So it's like, I, I don't I, I don't know how you can expect the public square to be nice all the time or tidy all the time. It's just not, that's not realistic. That's not how it is in real life. And people are way more savage on the internet than they are in real life. Yeah, that reminds me of this quote, and I'm going to botch it, but... Um... <laughs> It's something like it's not it's not that we need to eliminate the insults. It's that we need to elevate the quality of the insults. Right. That's my <laughs> my view of it. Right. Like we we need po- political speech is passionate speech and we need to be passionate about what matters in people's lives. Yeah. So we have to talk about this. This Paul Pelosi stuff. I was really hoping that more information would have came out by now because we're really in the dark with uh, with what actually happened. But for for anybody who missed it over the weekend, Paul Pelosi is in the news. And this is what we know so far, based on what the cops have made public. So correct me if I mess this up or if I leave something out. All right. But as of now, for the, the best of my knowledge, maybe more news broke when we were recording this podcast. That's typically what happens. But um, <laughs> what we know now is that Paul Pelosi called the police saying that a violent man who was a friend of the family had broken into his San Francisco home when the police arrived. An unnamed third guy, no idea who that is, an unnamed third man casually let the police into the home. The cops then saw a naked Paul Pelosi wrestling over a hammer with a naked Black Lives Matter supporting hippie who then hit Pelosi in the head with the aforementioned hammer. So that's that's what we know so far. We'll get into it, everything else in just a second, <laughs> but this is getting real weird. Is that is that where we're at? Has anything else come out? I'm pretty sure that's we're up to date. I'm just trying to scroll now. I, I don't see I don't see anything new. Um, I think that's I think that's right. So every Democrat and every journalist, um, obviously, it's kind of their only play is they're blaming this on Donald Trump, Republicans. They're blaming Kevin McCarthy for some reason, Nazis, fascists. Yeah, you know they're simpletons. So that's a you know that's well, that's what they do. But uh, I mean, yeah, I yeah, think I think one of the most interesting aspects of this whole thing is um, the explicit effort uh, by White House press to to tie this to January sixth. And you know, the January sixth play has been Democrats' biggest play during this whole election cycle. Um, and I think 
you know, these, again, this sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that the insistence on forcing people into, uh, you know, these political camps based on what you want the result to be, or based on what you, you know, how you want to use the incident, um, I think is a mistake. I think it's a mistake. And I, I don't think it's just a mistake in terms of, you know, people being able to see through it, voters being able to see through it. I think I think it has long term damaging effects, especially when it comes again to, to sort of insisting that journalists find facts, insisting that journalists report facts and, you know, sort of remedying this legitimate fear that the public has that they're not getting the whole truth. Um, you know, I think it, it, it was Rahm Emanuel who said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um you know, whatever happened, whatever the facts of, of, of this incident are, um, it's clear that Paul Pelosi ha- has been badly injured. Um, and I think instead of instead of taking a step back and saying, you know, whoa, what what is what is it that we're doing here? What what am I responsible for as a journalist? How have I sort of, you know, added to, to divisive rhetoric that, you know, most normal, rational people are not going to act on on what they see or, or, you know, sort of commit political violence. But that that's always a possibility when when people are 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 you know stoking violence. And you know, we've we've <laughs> we've got mostly peaceful protests at this point for for years, um, and, and we expect there not to be any impact. I I don't think that that's I don't think that's re- reasonable. And I also think like. To see on Twitter, again, the sort of prognostication about what happened, what it means, um, what it's tied to, um, and and to then diminish other incidents of political violence because those, you know, the targets of of those attacks were not on the right quote unquote team. Um, You know, and I'm talking about Steve Scalise in 2017 with a shooting at the congressional baseball practice and also the attack against Rand Paul. Folks you know, wanted which to, one? I mean, they know, tried to kill Rand Paul, I think, three times in a year. Yeah, like diminish yeah. diminish violence that had you know really severe effects for these folks. Um, again, because they're you know they don't have the right letter behind their name. Um, it's insane. That's yeah. in, that's that's insanity. I mean, three Republican canvassers were beat in the last week. Yeah, man, um, those photos then, are horrific. Yeah, and then there was the man who uh, murdered that Republican teenager. Um, for being a Republican. Yes. That was only, what, three weeks Man, ago? Man, that We're talking was... about all stuff in the last calendar month. Yeah. Here. Well, and this is this is an issue, too, I think, with, <laughs> with a holy or almost holy online press is that it's like we're moving so fast that folks really, you know, they can sort of semi-erase what's happened, you know, to your point three weeks ago. That's, that's no time, right? Like, that just happened. But in the news cycle, it's a oh, it's old news. It's ages ago, right? And every, everybody's moved on. But that that instance in particular, um, I I thought you know that town seemed like a small town and a tight knit community. I think you know the boy's mother said that he knew that you know they knew knew or knew of his attacker. Um, that to me just is so, so incredibly tragic. And I, my heart hurts so much for that kid's family. Like he really, he was just starting out. He, he didn't, he, 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 his entire life was taken, you know, taken from him, everything that he could have done, everything that he could have been just snuffed out um, because of, because of political division. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I I don't want to get too far over my skis here, but I mean, 
journalists don't care about that stuff because they do believe that Republicans deserve to die. I mean, you remember all of the pieces uh, in the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, all the corporate journalistic outlets during COVID. I mean, they would write pieces every day, yeah. you know, if you're unvaccinated, you deserve to die. Why should we care? You know, they shouldn't get yeah. you know, treatment in hospital. They should be turned away from hospitals. They should die. You know, and it's like, all right, you guys are just, you're shouting from the rooftops that you want us all dead. Well, um, and the, the like gotcha pieces when people did lose their lives, you know, like literally awesome. dancing yeah. on the graves of these, these folks who lost their lives during COVID. Just to me, that's like, you are, you've lost something of your humanity if you can do that. I, you know, to, to me, I don't care. You, we can believe nothing the same. You know, <laughs> like we can have totally opposite adversarial beliefs. And I still want you to thrive. I still want you to have a beautiful life. Uh, I still want things to go well for you. I don't want you to be harmed. I don't want you to be killed. And, and really, we're, we're missing that. Um, maybe, it, maybe it just comes with the blue check, you know, you lose part of your soul. <laughs> What is it? What is it gain? What is it profit a man to gain a blue check but lose his soul? You know, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's part of the deal. I'm not sure. The thing is about the the Pelosi thing is that the propaganda yeah. doesn't even make any sense, right? Like the the like Hillary Clinton and and everybody and every journalist they jumped on the, you know, this is MAGA country. <laughs> they jumped right. right on. They they just they jumped right on that again. Um, but it doesn't even make any sense. Like, and the cops released the transcript, right? Like we've, we've read it. We, we know that Paul Pelosi knew the guy. He, he considered this guy a friend. Um, and we know the guy's a lefty. He's a, a lives in a nudist colony <laughs> with like black lives matter flags. I mean, the it's like, it doesn't even make like, was the, the headlines too. Like uh, the headlines about that particular fact, <laughs> we've seen several that are like, um, he dabbled in nudist activism. Dabbled. <laughs> like how, how? It seems kind of all or none. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, but there's nothing in this story that could possibly be tied to Republicans. Well, they need it to be true, though. Of course. You know, they 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 need it to be true, and I you know, just that... want to know why was Paul Pelosi naked. I, the other guy was a nudist. Checks out. That seems legit. You'd expect a nudist to be naked. Why? Why is Paul Pelosi naked? Why? That, it's like, I just, I'm a simple man. I just need to know. <laughs> like, it's like when there's giant holes in a story like this, it's like, come on. Like, every journalist in the Western world is beclowning themselves by not investigating this. Yeah. Because this, it's so, it's right there. Come on. Be a well, hero, journos. I you know that's, you want to. Why was Paul naked? Baseline their job. I mean, you know, not not to sort of go through the greatest hits here, but the Jesse Smollett incident. You know, I mean, there were there were so many people who just went along with that hook, line, and sinker. Same thing with the Nicholas Salmon incident, where it's like, okay, well, we have a tiny bit of information. Let's go. Let's run it. Um, and you know, in in spite of of being found, um, you know, civilly liable for that. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Um, you know, there's there's no deeper commitment. There's no interest in in going further with an investigation. Um, it's just you know because they just don't view their jobs. To, they they don't. It's it's just so far past that. Like the state of journalism in America is is so far gone. I mean, these people they do view themselves as regime agents. 
You know, they, they yeah. view their profession as protecting Democrats, getting Democrats elected. That is what they do. And like Michael Malice has a great line. Uh, I'll butcher it, but the, it's something like the war will be won when the average American views a corporate journalist the same way they view a big tobacco executive. Mm. And uh, and that's a good line. I don't even know if that goes far enough, though. Like, I want Americans to view corporate journalists how they view court jesters in the Middle Ages, like clowns whose job it is to dance for the king. You know? Well, because you know, and what's... Are, they just dance for the regime. They yeah. dance for the Democrats. They, they, you know, and I say this all the time, you know, I'm a professional musician. I, the, the reason why I practice so hard is because I never want to get up on stage and embarrass myself. The reason why I prepare for the show so hard is because I don't want to just hop on here and embarrass myself just as like a grown man. Mm. It's just a lot. I spend so much time trying not to embarrass myself in public, right? Like, it's like, a, <laughs> like I, I've, I've, I've dealt with anxiety issues my whole life, you know, since I was a little kid. It's like just embarrassing myself publicly has always been like the worst thing I can do, right? I just try very hard. I work very hard not to embarrass myself. And if you're a journalist in America, you have to be completely willing to just put on a clown suit and dance for the regime on TV. It's like they're, they're, they're happy. They're thrilled to go on television and just embarrass themselves for the Democratic Party. And it's like, boy, I, I mean, even if I wasn't an anarchist, I would never be so devoted to a politician or a political party that I was willing to embarrass myself publicly for them. Yeah, I don't think that they have the context to be able to feel embarrassment about it, though, <laughs> I know. because, I know. you know, it's kind of like the it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. It's like if everybody around you is telling you, like, oh, you're so great, like great piece you're fantastic at your job, you know, so on and so forth. Of, of course, you're not going to take a step back and question what you're doing. It's, it's lucrative for you. Um, you know, you're continuing to thrive. You're being promoted. Okay. Now you're an editor and it, it really is. And it shouldn't be, but it's alarming to me to see, um, you know, editors, managers at, at publications that are supposed to be quote unquote papers of record, um, just engage in all out political advocacy on the internet and otherwise. Um, there was a great piece in real clear investigations about, you know, journalists who are reporting about labor unions, participating in labor unions. Can, can those people be fair, but nobody cares. Nobody cares about fairness. You know, folks are, folks are interested in corporate media are interested in getting the headline, getting the click and moving on. Um, I, I don't think they worry at all about uh, about embarrassment. I think they're I think they're proud of their work. I think they stand by their work. Yeah, I think it's I think you're absolutely right, and I I don't even think it's it. I think they've moved by, beyond clickbait. You know, I I, I think they, um, I mean they I mean like Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. Yeah, he loses money every month. Yeah, that, that newspaper will never never turn a profit again. No, he probably loses tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars a year on that. But he bought it to try to get Democrats elected. Yeah, and it's like I think these people, especially you know not you know your your average journo who's you know has a a thousand Twitter followers and just really wants to get his work out there. Yeah, yes, they're gonna post clickbait. They want the clicks. They want the clout. But you know if you're making over a certain income level and you work in corporate media, I think you're just solely devoted to getting Democrats elected. Like they would rather lose money. They would rather, rather lose clicks. They would rather, you know, hurt their own businesses if it means getting Democrats elected because they just hate 
the American people. Like these corporate journalists There's... just hate us so much. They just they want to subjugate us. They want to rule over us. They despise us. They hate us more than you and I have ever hated anything, more than we are capable of hating anything. And that's why they don't care. I don't even think they care about the money anymore. I think they've moved past like profit, you know, seeking profit and have moved strictly into like, you know, what what you'd see in, in places like Russia or China where it's it's just state run media but only for you know obviously one one side of the aisle yeah yeah i mean i think it, it is interesting that how many voices are drowned out by by that again because they're not interested they're not interested in diverse voices even even voices you know of people who've had diverse experiences it's like every the story's written and you have to sort of cast the you know cast the parts in the story that you've already written but i i do wonder if for a lot of these folks and, you know, having spent a decade of my life and career in DC, I, I really wonder, um, I wonder if they're even able to gain that perspective. It's like, you know, you can't understand, for instance, if you were raised in, um, in, uh, in the Bronx and you came out here, you would be like, Whoa, I don't know. I don't really know what's going on out here. You know, the jobs are different. The culture is different. The people are different. And I think, are they able to gain that perspective? I really don't know. I mean, there's there's a great scene um, in, in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, and I think the character is a producer. And he asks Audrey Hepburn's character, are you real or are you fake? And she says, well, I'm real. And he says, I disagree. I think you're fake. But I think you really believe all this fake bullshit that you believe. <laughs> so in that in that case, you're real. And that that's really what I wonder, like, and to that extent, there are people who are part of the journalistic class who I almost have empathy for because it's like you really like your worldview and your world is so small um, and it and it lacks complexity. It, it lacks idiosyncrasy and really it lacks anything that looks like reality. Yeah. Um, how 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 depraved is I mean, how you know, how empty um, their lives must be. Uh, without that richness that I think makes up the human experience. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that sounds like a miserable existence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really does. But yeah. it's like, you see with the Paul Pelosi thing, it's in John Fetterman and his, his brain damage is another good example. Yeah. It's like, they'll, they'll literally take anything, anything that happens. They're like, how do we spin this to help Democrats yeah. get elected. So they're like, okay, I, John Fetterman can't think, can't speak, can't hear, can't do anything. He's a brain-dead man, just empty suit up there. He clearly cannot serve. He clearly cannot be a senator. How yeah. do we how do we spin this into helping him get elected? And then they started writing all the pieces. He's so brave for mm. for trying to be a brain-dead senator. Isn't it brave? It's ableist. You're ableist. You're basically yeah. a Nazi if you don't vote for John Fetterman. And it's like, okay, Paul Pelosi loses a wrestling match with a hammer and a nudist, and there could be something sexual going on. Who knows? And it's all crazy. And he called the guy, and he was a family friend. And who's the third? All right, how do we use this? How do we help get Democrats elected? It's like, guys, yeah. how is every the answer? Like The answer to every question, if you're a journalist, is... I will use this to get Democrats elected. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, like, Joe Biden could just go shoot someone in the yeah. middle of Fifth Avenue, and, like, 
in 24 hours later to be like, this is why you need to vote for Democrats. And it's like, that's just all like they're, they're in they're, It's the NPC meme. Like they are literally NPCs. Like the, any information that goes in, what comes out is vote for Democrats. It's like, yeah. that's the only, they cannot, they, they can't think in any other way in any other context. I think that you brought up the, the Fetterman campaign that to me, and, and I would include Joe Biden in this too. That to me is the height of political cynicism because really both parties, you know, um, I wouldn't say across the board, but in some instances, really what they're looking for is, is somebody who's, who's popular, but vulnerable to be a candidate because they, you know, they want that candidate to be a vehicle for their ideas. Um, and to the extent that, you know, that person is a, a, is a person of prominence, all the better. Um, but I think, you know, that's that really takes physical form with Biden and Fetterman. And I think that what's happening in the Fetterman campaign is is, you know, even even darker than than what we've been discussing in the sense that he really literally is an empty vessel. Um, and I, I take no pride or joy in saying that. I mean, I, I, I think that um, what happened to him, his his sort of medical reality, it doesn't make him less of a person. It doesn't make him less uh, you know, respectable. It doesn't make him less worthy of love, but it does make him a less capable political candidate. I mean, we, we've totally lost track on what, what political candidates are supposed to do, which is to represent the interests of the people in their, you know, state or district or, you know, the nation. It's not to be a vessel for progressive ideology or, you know, far left social, uh, experimentation, it is to represent the actual interests of the people who, who, you know, are part of their constituency. And, you know, I really feel deep, deep empathy and sympathy for Fetterman. And, you know, I, there was a piece, I, I'm not going to be able to remember who wrote the piece, but it was about, it was about, uh, the wives, right? Like Fetterman's wife and, and, and Dr. Jill it, Biden. It makes me sick. It yeah. Me sick. Like how could you, you know, I'm not married. I'm in a relationship. You are married. How could you do that to the person that you love? How could you allow that to happen to the person that you love? I mean, I, I would catwoman the hell out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody was trying to do that to a person that I loved who was in a vulnerable position, um, you know, to, to, to put them out there to be maligned and to be a, a laughing stock um, and used of uh, a political machine, um, you know, that really seeks seeks nothing but 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 chaos. I mean, I would kill. Yeah. I'd literally kill to avoid my wife being publicly humiliated like that. Yeah. I mean it's just yeah. it, it absolutely As you makes should. Me sick. Yeah. As you should. That's what love is. Love is protecting and defending uh the people that you love. It's I just think with Fetterman and Biden. I just think democracy is ridiculous, and this is what you get when you take democracy to its reasonable conclusion. <laughs> I mean, it's just like yeah. if you just like follow it, follow that road, you get quite literally brain dead men ruling over you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like late stage Roman Empire stuff. I mean, it's like I, it is, it is. Um, and I think, you know, my view of that is that if there is a solution. Um, and, and by solution, I mean, solution for individuals, solution for families and for communities, it's kind of to him in and take care of your own people. I mean, um, you know, we talked offline about 
flooding in Kentucky. My, my mom's hometown was, was absolutely destroyed. Um, my, I have family members who were, who were impacted and, you know, there's a buddy of mine here locally who we could not disagree more about politics on, on the national level. Like he is one of those people who believes (laughs) the total opposite of what I believe, Right. but you know, he still did what he could to raise money and, and, and get resources for the folks who were impacted by that flooding. And to me, that's, that's what makes it, that's politics, you know, directed toward its right end, um, is to take care of people, um, and to, to, to put aside differences to make sure that the people in your community are well served. Um, and yeah, if, if there is a solution to me, that's what it is. It's to look at, at the people around you, at your friends, your neighbor, your family, and, and to say to yourself, how can I serve these people? Okay, I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself, and we'll leave it right there. <laughs> Farron, thank you so much for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully you come back on soon. Where can everybody follow you online? Uh, thank you. Read your stuff. Keep in touch. All that good stuff. Yeah. Um, on Twitter, I'm just at my name, Farron, F-A-R-A-H-N, Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N. Um, reading my stuff, uh, I don't I don't have much out there, um, but to the extent that I do, I've got a couple of pieces up at, at uh, on Substack at Long Road Home. Everybody follow Farron. She's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.